This morning we're going to uh, continue our study on spiritual gifts. Uh, we've been going through this series for some time now. Uh, this will actually be our final Sunday on spiritual gifts. I want to invite and encourage everyone back next week. Uh, we will have special guest evangelist. He's an artist. Uh, his name is Jeremy Sams. His wife, Crystal Sams, she's a vocalist. And uh, they will be here and they will be doing the Sunday school uh, as well as the Sunday morning worship and also back on Sunday night. And I can tell you, you will be greatly encouraged uh, in this. And so I just want to encourage everyone to be back next week for that. He actually will do a painting along with the message that he does. Very gifted, very talented young man. Uh, so I hope you will plan on being back next week. Good to see uh, some faces I haven't seen in a while. Good to have some visitors here as well. I hope that you feel welcome. Also, if you are visiting this morning and you did not pick up a welcome packet, um, please get one of those. We'd love to hear of your visiting with us. There's some information in there as well. And uh, you can also fill out a little card. And if you want to give that to an usher or myself afterwards, uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance this morning. So uh, please uh, stop by and check that out as well. Uh, I want to start this morning by reading a little note. And uh, as you may recall, last week we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And... We discussed this last week. When you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, everybody refers to this as the love chapter. Okay? Valentine's, I mean, it's 1 Corinthians 13 all over the place. But what is the context of 1 Corinthians 13? When you read a story, when you read a book, when you read a letter, you don't just jump into the middle paragraph off times, do you? No, you read from beginning to end. So 1 Corinthians 13, and this is going to be a real, I know, enlightenment for some of you, comes between chapters 12 and 14. I'm telling you, we're deep here at Community Baptist. But anyways, but there's a reason that it's in here. And it's in relation to spiritual gifts. So what's that all about? Well, if you remember in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we looked at, and we've been identifying here in our study, the spiritual gifts that we as believers in Christ have. Now, spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Okay? Spiritual gifts are supernatural gifts that God imparts to you when you, by faith, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if you're here this morning and you are a born-again believer you have a supernatural gift that God has equipped you with. He has placed within you. He has invested this into you. And, as we've been studying and learning, it's for your good and His glory. As people involved in Community Baptist Church, as believers, as members, you all have a unique gift. And God expects you to use that to reach the lost world around us, to edify and encourage one another, to build each other up. These are just some of the reasons that God has given you a gift. And ultimately, He'll bring the results and it'll be for His glory. 
So we've talked about this. We've talked about uh, why it's important for you to know your spiritual gift so that you can put your spiritual gift into practice. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Some of you have probably heard some of the little parodies of 1 Corinthians 13. Well, I found one for you. So this would be uh, perhaps a modern-day example if we were to read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Listen to this. Though I have three years of Greek and Hebrew, if I have not love, I am become a scholarly windbag. And though I teach a Bible class and attend every gathering of the saints, and though I've missed only one week of visitation when I had the flu, if I have not love, I am nothing. And though I give liberally of my means and always have my Bible lesson done on time and have driven bunches of kids to VBS once, and though I've invited the preacher's family to dinner just last month, if I have not love, the whole thing means nothing. Love keeps on loving when others don't love back. Love doesn't get jealous when the next door neighbor can afford a BMW. Love isn't rude to the persistent salesperson. Love is gracious when the line you've been standing in for an hour closes just as you reach the counter. Love keeps on loving even when embarrassed by your teenager's hair, music, or friends. Love isn't thwarted by ten hours of screaming kids, soiled diapers, dirty dishes, and a perpetual mess in the living room. And now abides faith, hope, and love. These three... But the greatest of these is genuine love that keeps on loving because God did. Let's pray this morning. Father, what a challenge. And I have to confess before these folks this morning, Lord, and before you, as I studied and prepared this week, it was very convicting. Lord, uh, this is an area I fail oftentimes in. Lord, my prayer this morning is that I won't be a windbag, that I won't say things that just comes across as clanging cymbals and brass, it's just noise. But by your grace, Lord, and your love, that the words spoken today would be given in love and the truth would be received. Lord, forgive us how, how we fail so often in this area. And I pray that your truth would convict us this morning and that you would speak to us by your grace. We'll give you praise for for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. When we finish 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you notice Paul concluded the chapter after going through all this list of spiritual gifts The last part, verse 31 of chapter 12 says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. You see, Paul has just told these Corinthian believers, Yeah, you've got gifts. And in fact, we learned last week, they were the most gifted church in all of the Bible. 
And yet Paul says to them, desire the spiritual gifts, but let me tell you a more excellent way. Let me give you something even better than all those gifts. And that's what chapter 13 is about. You think gifts are good? Let me give you a more excellent way. Love. Love. Biblical love. Now, when we think of love, let me find my clicker this morning. Here we are. When we think of love, we have something comes to mind. Now, for some of us, you need to go ahead and kick that out of your mind because we're in church. All right. There's four different words for love. All right. Little lesson here. Four Greek words that we're going to look at this morning that typically describe what love is. Now, the first word, and the sad thing is, this is the word most people think about when you hear love. Young people, listen to me. The world has sent you a message that is such a lie and is straight from the pit of hell. Satan wants you to think that love is an emotional feeling, it's what you see on Hollywood movies. It's about being all romantic and lovey-dovey and touchy-feely. And that's not what it's all about. I don't need any amens from any of you people who've been married for a long time now. (laughs) Better hold that tongue. We talk about James some other time. Hold that tongue. Four different words. Now the first word is this word, eros. It's sensual. It's passion. It's lust. (gasps) Or it's... Sex. I know we shouldn't say that in church. This is where we get the word erotic from. The sad thing, most people, this is their idea of love. Sensual, passion, lust. It's used of goddesses and gods of the pagan religions such as Aphrodite or or, or Venus or Cupid. But the word does not occur in the New Testament at all. Isn't that interesting? You get fed constant dose, like drinking from a fire hose, of what love is supposed to be about. It's no wonder that we're confused. It's no wonder that even great Christian couples do not really understand what true love is. Look at the the divorce rate in America today. Look at all the uh, premarital sex that's going on. Look at all of the the, the things that are happening in our society. And we wonder why, but folks, it's it's because we don't have a, a real biblical understanding of what true love is all about. And it's so important to our understanding. We need to know what real love is. There's another word, and this is the Greek word storge. And it has to do with family relationships, the love amongst family. You know, like a parent and a child relationship. Uh, this word also you don't find in the Scripture, but it's oftentimes used of um, even your love for your pets. Storge, the Greek word. This is the word that they would use to describe that. A word you're probably very familiar with, uh, phileo. It's where we get our words like philanthropist. Um, Phileo is a social love. It's a friendship. Young people understand this one very well. Friendship, human love at its highest. What do I mean by that? Human love at its highest. Typically, most people, this is as far as they get in their understanding of love. 
Friendship. Phileo. Brotherly love. Love of man. Passage. John 21, 15 through 17. You don't have to turn there, but basically that's the passage where the resurrected Christ is, is on the shore with, um, with John and Peter. And, and he says to Peter, he says to him, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And if you remember the story, he repeats this over and over because Peter is not responding to Christ in the manner of love in which Christ is trying to explain. Peter keeps saying, yeah, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. I phileo you. Yeah, I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. But Christ was wanting the highest love, the agape love. And that's our next word. Check this out. Agape. It's the spiritual divine love. It comes only from God. And it involves more than just emotion. It involves the will, the choice. And if you will study this word throughout the New Testament Scripture, some 55 times it's used, you will find that agape love is a sacrificial love. It's a giving of oneself to another with no expectation in return. Can you imagine loving each other like that? I'm going to do or help this person without any ounce of expectation in return. Church, can you imagine if we begin to love each other like that? What a testimony to each other, how this will encourage all of us and will be a testimony to those in this community. Now I confess, is this, this is not a natural form of love. And this is why, again, we can't love this way unless we know Christ. If we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, you'll never understand this love. You'll never know what this love is about. This love will never find its way into your marriage. This love will never find its way into your relationship with your children. This love will never find its way into your relationship with others. Because it's a divine love. It's so important for us to understand this truth. Look with, uh, with me, if you would, into the Scriptures this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's find out. I gave you the, the, the uh, modern-day paraphrase, but let's take a look at the authority of God's Word and what it has to say in regards to this. Look with me, if you would, chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, 
but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether they are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now, abide, faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Did you get that this morning, church? Did you hear what Paul is saying to these Corinthians? And, and, and think about this. Well, well, let's take a look into it. First off, let me, let me give you, if you're taking notes, you want to take a notes on the outline. This morning we're going to look at, our first point is going to be love is absent. And that's found in verses for, uh, 1 through 3. Love is actualized. That's the second point we're going to hit on. And that's verses 4 through 10. And the third point we're going to talk about this morning is love is abiding. And that's verses 11 through 13. Let's take a look at the first point. Uh, Love is absent. All right? Um, And that's found in verses 1 through 3. Notice the gifts. Let's let's look closer at this. Verses 1 through 3. Okay. Paul starts off. And again, here's this church that is so gifted. Okay? They're, They're all about gifts. All right? And so Paul's trying to teach him a lesson about these gifts. And he says that, you know what? He said, if you speak with tongues of men, or even hypothetically speaking, let's say you even spoke with tongues of angels. That, if you don't have love, worthless. Paul's saying, look, I don't care what your gift is. Whether you have this beautiful, eloquent speech or whether you have some kind of, you know, hypothetically speaking, a, a tongue of an angel. It's like clanging uh, cymbals, brass, gongs. I was listening to David Jeremiah and, and it was an older series and he says, you know, every time I hear this, I think of the gong show. Anybody remember the gong show? Yeah, okay. Some of you have talent like me. You definitely, bang, get the gong. And when they got the gong, when the... Look, the performance stunk, all right? <laughs> That's when they got the gong. Paul's saying, look, I don't care how talented you think you are. You're, look, it's a gong. It's, it's worthless. Now, it's interesting because there was a pagan practice of the day, and it was to honor pagan deities. Sabella, Bacchus, and Dionysus included in their practices, this pagan worship in Corinth. And by the way, Corinth was a very pagan place. And that's why the church in Corinth was in such a mess because all of the worldly influence was in the church. Does that sound a lot like a lot of churches today in America? 
So all this pagan practice was in there, and they would include these ecstatic noises accompanied by the gongs and the cymbals and the trumpets. And it was pagan, pagan worship. And Paul says, look, what you're doing, if you're not doing this in the power of agape, it's just a bunch of noise. The point, if not done in love, it was no different than the gibberish of pagan rituals. How about this other gift? Prophecy. As we talked about last week, some of these others, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith. Basically, it's the sharing of God's truth, making God's truth known. Notice what he says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love... I'm nothing. You know, church, we can have all these spiritual gifts. We can understand these spiritual gifts. But without love, it's empty. There's an emptiness. That's the point. Without love, I'm nothing. Now, now check out the second point. It's love is actualized. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look in verses uh, 4 through 10 again with me. What does it tell us? Well, it says that love suffers long. It's long-suffering, right? Love is kind. Also, you'll notice Paul goes into this list of, of what love is not, what love does not, and what love does. Look up here with me if you want to. It does not envy, right? It does not parade itself. It does not puff up. It does not behave rudely. It's not selfish. Boy, don't we struggle with that one. It's not provoked. It doesn't think evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Do we rejoice in iniquity? You know, there's a passage in Thessalonians in regards to the end times. And it talks about the reason why people will perish is because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. They weren't willing to come to the truth. They didn't want to receive the truth. They wanted to stay in pleasure. And the passage says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically says that they will be damned because they did not receive the love of the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, the truth be known why people do not want to turn and surrender their life to Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is at the core of who they are, they like their life the way it is. They have a pet sin or a pleasure or something in their life that they do not want to give up. And that's the truth. That's what the Scriptures tell us. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Listen, this pastor knows about the season of sin and its pleasures. And let me tell you, that is a road that leads clearly to destruction. Christ says, I'm not willing that any would perish. The Word of God tells us, I desire all men to come to repentance. All of creation screams at us, people. Everything in this world, as far as God has revealed Himself through nature, through our conscience, through the laws He's written on our heart. But there's a way to us that seems right, but the end's destruction. Yeah, God says, I'll let you live your life the way you want to live. You have free will. Choose to live how you want to live. Have your pleasure in unrighteousness. But one day, you're going to wake up to the reality of life is over, game over. It doesn't reboot, folks. It's eternity. And you stand before a holy, just God and have to give an account for the life. And now all of a sudden, the sin and the iniquity and the presence of a holy God is just worthless. Why didn't I see this? God, forgive me, it's too late. Behold, today is the day of salvation. God is telling us now, respond to my love now while you have a chance, while it's still day before the night comes. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I beg, can I urge, can I plead with you? Hear this truth. God doesn't want you to perish. You need to repent. Turn from this life, this road you're on, and surrender, complete surrender to Jesus Christ. He loved you. He proved His love to you that while you're yet a sinner, He died on a cross for you. No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for a friend. He loves you and He desires for you to understand this truth and return to Him. Receive His forgiveness. My prayer this morning is, if you're here and you've never done that, I pray you'll do that before you leave. God, I give up. He knows your life. He knows which road you've been on. Listen, He's the one that's dialoguing with you in your heart right now. The Holy Spirit of God is impressing upon you, even as I speak. I need to get this right. And then Satan, of course, is the one that's telling you, yeah, but you've got to do this and you've got to give up that and you don't want to... It's bunk. He's the father of lies. Satan's the father of lies. Of course he doesn't want you to surrender your life wholly, completely to Jesus Christ. Because then he's lost you. If he could drag you to hell with him, he'd love nothing greater. Church, it's important that we understand the love of God. Paul says, it doesn't matter your spiritual gifts. There's not true love in place. It's no good. Notice we stopped at the iniquity. But look what love does. Love does rejoice in truth. Do you understand that Look, there was a point in my life when I understood this truth that I just explained to you. You mean Jesus Christ died for me? You mean He is the only way? He is who He claimed to be, God in the flesh, and He's provided a way for man to be forgiven, 
so that when we do stand before a holy God that we don't stand in our sin, we stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And that when God looks at me, God the Father won't see Jeremy and all the wicked and evil and the thoughts that I've had and the, and the corrupt things and, the, and the, just the many things that I've done wrong. No, He looks and He sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus. Don't inspect my life. You inspect my life, you're going to find a lot of flaws. But you inspect the life of Jesus Christ and you will find righteousness. You will find perfection. And that's worth you putting your trust in His finished work on your behalf. And if you're willing to do that, you talk about rejoicing, rejoicing in truth. The angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who returns, who repents. And as you grow in God's grace and knowledge, you begin to understand these biblical truths. And you know what? They excite you. How crazy is that? People getting excited about the Bible. Woohoo! I mean, it's funny because I don't know how many times I'm working with teenagers. I used to hear, the church is just boring. You know, it's boring. Wow! How can, I mean, and look, I say teenagers. How many adults have said that? <laughs> I don't go to church, it's boring. You have a lack of understanding of who God is if you think church is boring. Because if church is centered around the author of this, the creator of life, the one who spoke and the universe leaped into existence, wow, that's far greater than anything Hollywood can produce. Amen? I mean, come on, people. This stuff, this is good stuff. You, you get this in your soul, you get this, you feed on this, and you start to realize, wow, this is what God's saying. Wow, this is what God's plan is for my life. You mean, oh, this, I'm telling you, it's like eating at a buffet, and it's mm-mm good. And I've ate at some buffets, so I know. Love is so important for us to understand the truth of what divine love is. Notice, love is actualized, continuing our thought. It says, love never fails. Prophecies will be rendered inoperative is a proper way of interpreting this. And we're going to take a look. We're going to take a little break here for all of my theologians in the house. We're going to take a break and look into some in-depth stuff here. Compliments of John MacArthur. Tongues will stop on their own, is what the Greek actually is conveying to us. Uh Uh-oh, hold on to your seat. Knowledge will vanish away. Now, notice this. Read this, check out this quote. The different Greek words that are used indicate that tongues will cease at a different point in time than prophecy and knowledge. Look at the text. Let's look at it. It says, love never fails. Paul's making a point. I don't care what your gifts are. You got some good spiritual gifts? That's great. But you know what? Love is is a far excellent way. It's it's a lot better way. Because, you see, gifts are going to... They're going to stop. Notice the ones he names here. He says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Now, 
um, John was pointing out there's different words used. What are these different words? All right, check out the first word. The first word is the Greek word, and it's called katargeo. Katargeo. Now, what does katargeo mean? Well, at the beginning of verse 8, it says that prophecies shall be done away. Other translations say it, quote, shall be rendered inoperative. Some of your Bibles may say it will be abolished. At the end of verse 8, it says that knowledge shall vanish away. Those two phrases describing the cessation of prophecy and knowledge, the ceasing of prophecy and knowledge, are the same Greek verb, katargeo, which means, quote, to be made inoperative. This is not the verb, however, that is used in reference to the cessation of tongues. That's a totally different word. Now, why do I camp out here? Because you know, you have friends, some of you may have even been involved in churches before where they believe tongues is an evidence of salvation. If you don't speak in tongues, sister or brother, bless God, you ain't saved. You need to learn to speak in tongues. That's evidence of the Holy Ghost. You know? And I'm sorry if somebody's preached that to somebody else before. I probably should not be flipping, and forgive me. But I do want to drive home a point here. This is a teaching and a doctrine that is so off base scripturally. And tonight, I invite all of us back. If you really want to know this subject, tonight, chapter 14... Lord willing, we're going to hit, and it's about tongues. So if you want to have some more in-depth on this tonight, please come back. We're going to have a good discussion about it as well. So, we've got two different words here in the Greek. And Paul's point again, let's don't lose sight of context. The Corinthians were really hung up on this gift, the tongues. And isn't that oftentimes the case of some of these churches that talk about this, a lot of them, that's all it's about. Okay? Now, look with me. We're we're talking about the different words being used here. The second word is the word pao. That's the Greek word pao. Now, there is a purpose in the mind of the Holy Spirit for making a distinction Okay, he didn't just use two different words. I think I'll use two different words. No, there's a distinction with these two terms. And I want you to understand what it is. Knowledge and prophecy will be rendered inoperative. But tongues will cease. This is indicated by the use of a different Greek verb, pao, which means to stop. Alright? So... The first distinction that is made in verse 8 is the use of two different Greek words to describe the cessation of prophecy and knowledge and the cessation of tongues. Now, what's the second distinction in verse 8? Notice the different voices used. Any English people in the house? Where's all my English folks? English majors, English teachers, so forth and so on. Yeah, all right. Um, Two different voices used. All right? What do we mean? Well, for all of us uneducated in this, believe me, that is me. Whoo! Every year I took English. Uh, and as you can tell by the way I speak, it's downhill. But passive voice, okay? Paul, there, there's two different voices used in the context here. The first one we're going to look at is the passive voice. The verb 
Katargeo, in describing the cessation of prophecy and knowledge, is in the passive voice. The rule of grammar states that when a passive verb is in a sentence, the subject receives the action. So, in the case of prophecy and knowledge, something will act upon them to cause them to stop. You say, what is that? What is that going to do? What's this thing that's going to act upon? Well, look at verse 9 and 10. For we know in part the gift of knowledge, and we prophesy in part the gift of prophecy. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Cat argeo. So, what is it that's going to come and stop prophecy and knowledge? The perfect thing. What's that? Some people say, I think it's the Scripture. Some people have argued that I, the Scripture is complete and so it's done away with. I think that's, that's bad interpretation. Because will we not have the two witnesses in the Great Tribulation? Won't they be prophesying? Won't they be speaking? I think it's the second coming of Christ. When, when actually I believe it's, it's beyond when the, when the new heavens and the earth is, is, is made new. Um, Let's, let's continue. Also, notice that tongues do not appear in verse 9. Why? Because only prophecy and knowledge are stopped by the perfect thing. Okay? The second coming of Christ, those things are stopped. We still have foretelling of God's truth, don't we? What am I doing this morning? I'm foretelling God's truth, right? Okay? By the way, knowledge is vanishing away. Science of a hundred years ago isn't the same science today, right? It's passed away, right? You follow me? Okay. But tongues are stopped. The verb uh, related to tongues is not in the passive voice. Anybody want to guess what it's in? English people? It is in the middle voice. Okay. Don't worry, I wasn't too excited about that either. <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm not excited about the English, you know, descripts. All right, the verb that states tongues will cease, pao, is in the middle voice. Let me show you the differences in the active, passive, and middle voices. English lesson. All right. In the active voice, we would say, I hit the ball. In the passive voice, we would say, the ball hit me. And in the middle voice, if English had a middle voice, we would say, I hit myself, which I do quite often. In other words, the Greek middle voice is reflexive, indicating that the subject is acting upon itself. The middle voice also indicates intense action on the part of the subject. Literally then, verse 8 says, tongues will stop by themselves. Wow. Tonight, we're going to look at not only biblical reasons, we're going to look at extra biblical reasons on history on why I believe tongues stopped by themselves. And you also probably find some pretty scary, eye-opening things in regards to this so-called modern-day happenings. So... um, that's the meaning that the middle voice gives to the verb pao. Now, the Septuagint, 
which that's a fancy word for the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, it's called the Septuagint. Uses the middle form of paleo 15 times to translate the Hebrew word which means to complete or to stop or to finish or to accomplish, to end. It has a finality to it. And the reflexive middle voice gives it the idea that it ends all by itself. Now, what does all this mean? Let's have some layman's terms. Amen? (laughs) What does all this mean? Well, the inevitable deduction is that the gifts of prophecy and knowledge then are going to continue on until that which is perfect comes and stops them. The gift of tongues is going to stop all by itself. That's what has to be deduced when one looks at the Greek. Again, I know for a lot of people you've always wondered about this because some of you have been taught. And let me say here, some of you have experienced tongues. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. But does experience make something true? No. Just because you experience something doesn't make it true. How many of you have ever been in love, worldly love? Oh, he's a dreamboat. He's my favorite. You guys, same way, we're no different, you know. I don't know if you ever seen the commercial. I don't know what commercial it was, but where the guy's standing outside the window of the girl and he's all crying. He's like, I love you. <laughs> and then the other guy says, dude, get out of here. <laughs> this is exactly why she left you. <laughs> We've all had that feeling. And we just knew this was real. This was it, man. This is, I love you. And then you look back and it's like, <laughs> no, not at all. But your feelings told you it was real. We cannot allow feelings to determine whether something's true or not. This is our authority. Okay? And we just did an exhaustive, in-depth look at what this is telling us. So I realize some of you maybe have had an experience. Be careful, though, that you don't say... In the face of God's truth, well, I don't care what that pastor says. I don't care what the... I know because I experienced it. Ouch. That's scary stuff. So, how about... Let's get back on track. Our third point, final point. Love is abiding. Verses 11 through 13. Let's look at this. Paul closes out this portion of scripture by saying um, when I was a child I spoke as a child I understood as a child I thought as a child but when I became a man I put away childish things for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now I know in part but then I shall know just as I also am known let me stop there for a second you know I think we see a glimpse here Paul uses this descriptive terms to the Corinthians and, and, and he knows their struggles. By the way, you want to know what some of their struggles were? I wrote down some of them. Listen to this. What were they struggling with? They had no patience in the assembly. They envied each other's gifts. They were proud. They were critical. Well, I don't know. Um, they were, there was no modesty amongst them. 
There was no humility. They clamored after their own rights. What about my rights? Well, that sounds like something today, huh? They rejoiced at sin when they should have judged sin. This was what was going on in in the Corinthian church. And Paul hammers at this all through the epistle. Okay? And that's why it's interesting that this point is placed perfectly where it is. Yeah, they've been hammered. But now Paul is trying to convey to them a more excellent way. And it's love. It's true agape love. So they were acting immature. They were carnal. They were like little kids. This is my ball. You get your own. It's mine. I got kids. If you want to know a kid, come babysit for me anytime. You'll see childish behavior. And this is the kind of behavior that was going on in that church. And let me say, folks, I've seen it in a lot of churches. And it ain't the kids doing it. I think we all understand this, don't we? Paul says, look, you've been justified. You know, know, when I was a child, I acted like a child. Okay? Sanctification is the maturing. It's the growing in God's grace and knowledge. Paul has been maturing. He's trying to tell these people, I want you to mature. Grow up. Sanctification is that process where we are being conformed more and more to the image of the Son. And eventually glorification will come. Perfection. When we see Him, when when that day comes, He says that I will be... Notice verse, um, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, which could be a reference to the Word. James talks about the Word of God is like a mirror. We look into it, we see what we really look like. And when you look in the mirror, if you've got a booger hanging in your nose, you get rid of it. Right? If your hair is all messed up, you fix it. <laughs> so, look in the Word of God. I see there's sin in my life. Take care of it. And he says... When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Paul closes that out. Um, And there's a a reference to this. If you want to... I won't go there now for for time's sake, but Revelation 22.4 basically tells us that, yeah, uh, when that day comes, that we're going to see Him face to face. There. Where? In glory. When we're in that eternal state, there we shall perfectly love God and there we shall perfectly love one another. The blessed state. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, stop acting like a child. Grow up. Mature. Learn. Realize love is a far more excellent way. Stop being selfish, childish, etc., etc. I don't care what gifts you have. One day we'll see Him as He is seen. Yeah, we look in the Word and we still don't quite get it. We don't quite fully see it. We don't quite fully understand. But one day we will put these old bodies to rest and we will receive a glorified body. We will be as we should be. And we'll experience perfect love 
perfect love. Love is abiding. You notice he closes that section by saying, And now, now, abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Think about that. Faith introduces us to Christ. We have hope now for that day when we will arrive. But love helps us to imitate Christ, to be as He is. This is where we're at in this walk. Yeah, you've got spiritual gifts. Yes, you need to use them. We've talked about this. Notice this this passage of Scripture. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. We talked last week, we talked about the three reasons to know your gifts. It's to manifest Christ to the world. It's to mature church believers. It's to minister care to one another. Do you remember that? Do you remember us talking about your gifts? That's the reason you need to know your gifts. How are we going to do these things? How are we going to really show this world Christ? How are we really going to be able to mature as church believers? How are we going to be able to minister to one another? Let us do this in the power of agape. Beloved, let us love one another. For for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is Paul's point. As we close out our study on spiritual gifts, I pray you know your spiritual gift. I pray that you will put your spiritual gift into practice in this local assembly. If you're visiting this morning... You want to know how you help determine your spiritual gift? Listen, I'd love to talk to you. If you're a believer, follower of Christ, God has gifted you with a spiritual gift. And it needs to be used. But let's don't lose sight that if this isn't done in the power of God's love, it's nothing. If we love Him, we'll keep His commandments. Do you know God this morning? Let's pray. Father, what a, a challenging message. Again, as I, I study through this, there's, uh, I don't want to lose sight of what Paul is trying to convey to these Corinthians. And Lord, I pray that you convey it to our hearts and minds this morning. Yes, Lord, we need to know our spiritual gifts. We need to understand them and we need to put them into practice. But Lord... We need to make sure that it's done by your divine grace, by your love. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we'd all do some self-inspection and help us to really begin to see clearly what it means to love. It encompasses so much. I don't believe Paul was defining love in this chapter. He was showing us the, the, the fruits of love, what, what it what it evidence what the evidence of love is in our life Lord is that the fruit of our tree 
Lord, I pray we would have a, just a time of confession before you even now. And we've not been loving to those who've wronged us. You told us, Lord, that uh, we're to love as Christ loved us. And Lord, I was unloving when you found me. I was, I was not a person who needed, deserved, or I needed desperately your love, but I, I definitely did not deserve your love. It was, it was truly unmerited favor. Thank you for showing me mercy and grace and sending your son Christ to die for my sin. And Lord, I know there's people here this morning that are still living in their sin. They're having pleasure in, in sin for a season. Lord, I pray that you be merciful to them and that you would draw them with the cords of your love even now. I wonder with nobody looking around and all eyes closed, if there's anyone here this morning to be honest, say, Pastor, I'm, I'm in my sin right now. The Word of God has shown me this this morning. Would you pray for me? I would love to pray for you this morning. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and just pull it back down? Pastor, I, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. My, I'm living in sin. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm just not where I need to. I, I've got some things in my life that just... God, forgive me. Anybody else? Thank you. All over the place. Anybody else? Listen, this is a time between you and God. You, you acknowledge to Him right where you're at. Confess this sin. First John. I, and I know for us, listen, this is... I'm just going to be still because you know what you need to do. Take it to the throne of grace. Father, as you're dealing with hearts, as people are confessing sin, I pray for them, Lord, for all those brave enough to acknowledge I'm struggling. Lord, you promise that if we will confess, you would cleanse us. May your cleansing power flow even now, Lord. Lord, I pray for this church that we would be a loving church. And we would overlook each other's faults, shortcomings. And that you would help us as individuals to be what you would have us be. As we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh. Fulfilling your purpose and plan, Lord, for our life. Thank you for those that are gathered here this morning. And Lord, I just pray that um, if you should allow that we'd be able to come back tonight to fellowship and worship and grow in that grace and knowledge. Thank you again, Lord, for your love. In Jesus Christ's name.
Amen.